Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. This morning, I want us to look at a topic, how the Bible changes us. That's the title of the message today, how the Bible changes us. The Bible, this book is absolutely unlike any other book in existence. Now, there's, been, there's a lot of great books in the world, right? There are, in fact, there are some really great books. There are even some really super great books in this world, pieces of literature that have changed the world. Books like Green Eggs and Ham, The Cat in the Hat, Curious George. I don't like to brag, but I'll tell you, I have personally read several of these books. I'm a reader. But this book, this book, the Bible is so completely different than any other book. It has a supernatural power in it that changes lives like no other book. The reason it has the power to change lives is because it is the actual Word of God. Now, last week, we looked at seven reasons that we can trust the Bible and know for certain that this is just no ordinary human written book. It's not a bunch of fictional stories uh, written by someone hoping to make a point or or a bunch of human ideas written down uh, trying to present some form of popular psychology, but it is, in fact, the actual Word of God. Do you believe that this morning? The Word of God is literally the most powerful thing in the universe. In fact, the Bible says that the universe was actually created by the Word of God. God spoke the universe into existence. Spoke it into existence. That means it was created by His Word, right? You know, for hundreds of years, scientists have thought that the universe was infinite, that it was eternal, it had no definite beginning or end, but now modern science is saying that that's not correct. They're now saying there is hard evidence that a universe has a definite beginning and that it will have a definite end. They just don't know exactly when that end will be, but they say they can certainly see it coming. Now, can you imagine all the money and research and time it took them to come up with that conclusion? If they'd have just read the Bible, they could have answered that question eons ago, right? But that's how scientists are. It's like the guy who posed this question to this world-renowned archaeologist. He said, can you tell me who actually oversaw the construction and financed the buildings of the Great Pyramids of Egypt? And the famous archaeologist, he paused, and and then he said, well, you know, after many thousands of research hours and many, many millions of dollars, we are pretty sure it was a guy named Eddie. Now, see, when I first heard that, I thought that was hilarious because that's kind of how science research goes. But apparently you didn't think it was all that funny, so I'm just going to keep moving on like I never said it, okay? 
Can't believe, you don't think that's right? Thousands of hours and dollars, we think it was a guy named Eddie. That's funny. That's funny stuff right there. I'm so disappointed. The Bible clearly tells us that God created this universe and the earth by, by merely speaking it into existence. And that one day, he's just going to speak it out of existence. And he's going to create this new heaven and this new earth. How? By just saying it. It's pretty amazing when you think of it. You know, we hear a lot of talk today. A lot of scientists refer to the beginning of the universe as the Big Bang Theory. You familiar with that, right? And I will tell you this. I have no problem with the Big Bang Theory. How many of you find that shocking? I don't have a problem with that theory because here is my motto. I have a motto. Behind every big bang is someone who caused that bang. You with me? When I was a kid, my bedroom was down in the basement. And so when my friends would come over, we'd be down there horse. Now all of a sudden, there'd be some calamity. And my mom would shout down and say, hey, what, what are you kids doing down there? And of course, what did we say? I don't remember you being there. How did you know that? And she said, well, I, just, I heard a bang. What was that big bang? And we, you know, we'd say, I don't know nothing. I don't know. But I'll tell you, this particular bang, I'm just telling you, behind every big bang is someone who causes the bang. Amen? Psalm 33, 6 says this, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born instantaneously, there are millions and millions, they can't even count how many stars there are just in our own galaxy, let alone this particular universe. And you know, stars, many of which are bigger than our sun, are basically these big burning clumps of nuclear energy. Are you aware of this? And buddy, are they ever hot? Do you have any idea how hot those things are? Well, let me tell you, Probably pretty hot. No, actually, I looked it up. These stars and our sun, out at the very perimeter, they're about 5,000 degrees. But as you get to the center, the core, they're as hot as 10 million degrees. And so I'm just telling you, when God created and spoke all of these 10 million degree burning things, millions into existence all at once, I am almost sure it had to have gone. <laughs> there had to have been the biggest bang that you can absolutely imagine. That's what I'm thinking. I have no proof. That's gospel according to Doug right there. Take it or leave it. But I'm you, all of a sudden, millions of these nuclear energy creating things that are burning that hot are just materialized into a deep void where there was nothing. Man, that had to have been something, right? I'm sure it was the world's biggest bang. But I want to say that behind that big bang was the Word of God. He spoke it into existence. But I tell you, if people want to believe that all of this incredible and mysterious universe just happened by chance, then I'm telling you, they've got more faith than I've got. It takes more faith to believe that all of this just happened by chance than to believe that a superior being created it. 
Things don't just happen, happen out of nothing. Aristotle had a theory called spontaneous generation that things just materialize out of nothing. However, that was uh, pretty much disproved in the mid-1800s by Louis Pasteur. And basically what he discovered was, was this theory, the theory or the law of cause and effect. Have you, you ever heard that? He said, whenever there is a cause and effect, there is a cause that creates the effect. That's pretty logical, don't you think? So God simply spoke these things to existence. He said, let there be light. And, and then he said, and there was light. And he said, you know, let there be this and let there be that. And it had to just be big bangs. You know, when Lazarus died, Jesus got there a little late. Got there a few days late. So I'm sure Lazarus at this point is not looking or smelling his best, right? And Jesus stood outside that tomb and he just hollers in. He says, Lazarus, get up and come out here. And the next thing you knew, there came Lazarus. I've got, he was stuck in that tomb for several days. I've got, do I have that picture up there? That is me standing in the tomb of Lazarus. It's still there. They know where it is. And let me tell you, getting in and out of that thing is no simple chore. There's a little narrow hole that for me was just almost too narrow. And you got to kind of slink. There I am coming up out of that thing. I just barely made it down in there. But Lazarus, he's been in there four days. Jesus just says, get up and come out of here. And the next thing you know, here comes old Lazarus just crawling out of that tomb. That is the power of God's word. Amen? Jesus said that his words are spirit and life. John 6, 63 says, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Hebrews 4.12, I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you if you're taking notes today. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active. It's alive and it's active. That word living is the Greek from the Greek word zeo. That's, that's where we get our English word zoo and, and zoology. It means to live. It's saying that God's words are actually alive. Not just printed words laying on a piece of paper. It's active and it's alive. The Greek word was energos. And so we obviously, we get our word energy. It has energy. It has the power to really change things. The Bible says this. It says that God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the human heart. And we talked about that. This word judges us. Last week we talked about how God's word is like a mirror, right? We look into a mirror and the purpose is to see if there's some things we need to change. So in other words, the Bible just cuts right to the heart of any issue. The word of God literally has the ability to point out to me what is wrong in my life or, or things that need to be changed or corrected. It, it shows it to me. It's like that mirror. And that, I'll tell you, that's what I need in my life. 
it's the same thing you need in your life also, by the way. In case you were thinking, yeah, that Pastor Doug, I'm glad he sees he needs some change, boy, because I, well, I'm not the only one. Okay, none of us are perfect. We have any perfect people here today? Anybody? Good, I feel better. Get a little nervous if we have some perfect people here. So, we need to change the things in our life that cause us problems. Things in our life that are not right and true. And we find what these things are by reading His Word, and it is so alive, He reveals it to us. Now, chances are very good you have tried on your own to change things in your life, and yet you're still dealing with them today. And that's why we need the, the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God can change things that we can't change on our own. How do we know? Because we've tried and it's not working all that well. We keep kind of bumping up against that wall and bouncing back. Whatever that area may be in your life, we've all had them. D.L. Moody, he was a very, very famous pastor in the mid uh, through the late 1800s. He had a pretty interesting quote. He said this, The Bible wasn't given to increase our knowledge. It was given to change our lives. That's a pretty deep thought right there. The Bible wasn't given, us, given to us just to increase our knowledge. It's given to us to literally change our lives. So here we go this morning. Seven ways that the Word of God changes our life. If we allow it. There's always that caveat, right? Seven ways God's Word will change our life if we allow it. The first thing it does is it recreates my life. That means when my life is falling apart and life has just gone to the dogs, when I feel like I'm at the end of the rope, God comes in and He recreates it. He gives me a whole new life, a fresh start. The Bible refers to it as being born again. You get to start over. That's why sometimes people are so confused. Why do they say you're born again? You're going, well, because you, you literally, you get to start over. That's pretty dramatic. Being born again means you get a whole new life. You don't just turn over a new leaf. I mean, you get the whole new tree, right? You get the whole shebang. So, James 1 verse 8 says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He chose to give us birth through His word. New birth comes through His word. Without the word of God, none of us could ever be saved. It'd be impossible. Without the word of God, none of us would know that we want to be headed to heaven. Why? Because we wouldn't even know about heaven. We wouldn't know that Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for our sins, and we wouldn't know that all we have to do is simply ask Him to forgive us of our sins, and He'll do it. We wouldn't know that. So it would be impossible to be born again, to be saved. 
You know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how the Bible is oftentimes compared to a seed. It's like a seed that gets planted in your life, and once it takes root, it begins to grow, and then it actually begins to bear fruit that you can actually see and you can experience. It, it recreates us. That's the first way the Bible changes our life. The second way it changes our life is it erases my guilt. This one's big. How many of you are thankful the Bible erases our guilt? Because how many of you have ever done something in your life that you're ashamed of and you're glad you don't have to haul that guilt around? About a third of you are truthful. We appreciate that. Man, we've all done stuff. I would never, ever run for political office because I don't want people digging up all the junk out of my past and saying, look what he did when he was in high school. Who's with me here? You know what I'm talking about. This poor guy trying to get confirmed for the Supreme Court. Now they're going back to what he did in high school. Holy cow. How many of you are glad everyone, someone's not on your tail finding out everything you did in high school and they're just going to splash it all over the news? When I was sitting in that police station for siphoning gas out of the school buses, I'm glad that doesn't show up on the front page of the Express News. <laughs> Pastor of Calvary Temple at one time in his life was stealing gas to go joyride when he didn't even have a driver's license. I mean, they could make the story look sound pretty bad. We've all done just crazy, stupid things, right? It erases our guilt. It's huge. With Jesus in our life, the power of his word erases that weight of guilt and shame from past sins in our life. We don't have to walk around thinking about, oh, what a horrible person I was. We don't have to. You know, there's a lot of people, though, that get stuck in the memories of their past. Either people have hurt them or they have just anger and resentment, or maybe they've hurt others and they just feel all of this guilt, God gave us his word in order to erase those feelings of guilt and shame. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all wrongdoing. He cleanses us from how much of it? All of it. All of it. That's incredible, isn't it? It's weird. It's kind of weird when I think about because God can do anything almost. We found out last week God cannot lie. And here's another thing God cannot do that, boy, it'd be great if we could do it, but it's the miraculous part of God. He cannot remember horrible things we've done that we've asked him to forgive us of. It's forgotten. He has the power, the miraculous power to literally forget it. If anyone's hauling it around, it's us. But we don't have to. That's the beauty of it. So this verse, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just uh, to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some people refer to this uh, verse as the soap dish, dish verse because God is saying, I'm going to give you uh, a little bath in here and we're going to just wash all that dirt away. Romans 8.1, there is now how much condemnation? 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are some really incredible promises to God from God to us. So you may say, you mean God's not going to punish me for all the terrible things I've done in my life? No, not if you've confessed and asked forgiveness. The answer is no, you are cleaned of all of that. So the, God, the word of God, it recreates our lives. It eradicates our guilt. And thirdly, it activates our faith. There's a whole bunch of people out there today, maybe some in this room right now, who are just flat out scared to death about what tomorrow holds. People are afraid of failure. They're afraid of not having enough money. They're afraid of health issues. They're afraid of dying. Afraid of all sorts of things. They have very little confidence because they have very little faith. It all is directly related one to the other. Faith is activated by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. If you've ever been reading a verse of Scripture and all of a sudden you just feel like, man, you've been empowered to accomplish something by the Word of God. Now this, this is the huge, huge difference between the Bible and a good self-help book. And I am not anti-self-help books, but sometimes I find that people first run to the bookstore to find a good self-help book before they turn to the one that absolutely is going to solve their problem. But I'm not bad. Of course, there are, and there are some self-help books out there that are just literal garbage, too. But uh, self-help books, it's a, you know, a self-help book might say something like, if you want to be successful, then stop worrying about everything. Okay, those are helpful words. Might say, give up those habits that are harmful to you. Once again, good words of advice, right? But what I'm saying is this. Most likely, you have already tried giving up your bad habit. You've already tried to stop worrying, but you on your own have not been able to do it, and that's why you're laying out some cash for a self-help book in the first place. Right? I, I told you about the time I went into the bookstore looking for a self-help book. I walk in the door, and there's that big round table, a guy sitting behind it. I said, excuse me, sir. I said, could you tell me where the self-help section is? He said, well, I could, but that would kind of defeat the whole purpose, wouldn't it? Man. Self-help books, they might have a lot of good words, but they are not alive. They have no power. The power of God's Word not only gives us great advice and direction, it then gives us the power to make it happen. And that increases our faith. Self-help books won't do that. Here's the fourth way that God changes our life. It stimulates our growth. It stimulates our growth. Now, first it creates, it recreates our life. It then eradicates our guilt. It wipes the slate clean. Then it activates our faith. And then that causes us to start growing in faith. 
there's a great promise of God found in Acts 20.32. It says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here's what that's saying. It's saying, I'm going to give you an inheritance among all the other people who are in my family. You know what an inheritance is, right? An inheritance is something that is handed down to you, not because you deserve it, but simply because you are in a family. That's what an inheritance is, right? So let's say, let's just say, for instance, your father was Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world. Anybody here wish your father was Warren Buffett? <laughs> Let me just say... Christmas might be a little thin this year for some people. Might be a little thin. That wasn't even nice. <laughs> Warren Buffett, CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, which by the way, you can any of you are perfectly able to go and buy stock in this company if you'd like. I, I got to tell you, it's a little pricey. You know, I used to work for Caterpillar Tractor Company. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll look and just out of curiosity to see what the stock is doing at Caterpillar Tractor. It's a pretty big outfit. Right now, you can buy stock for $142 a share. Now, Berkshire Hathaway stock, that's going to set you back a few more dollars. Anybody here know what one share of Berkshire Hathaway is going for right now? Approximately $323,000 a share. It's a little pricey, right? Warren Buffett is so incredibly wealthy, and he's getting pretty old. And let's say that he, now we're, we're just imagining he's your father. And he just up and dies after just writing out his, his will. And you get that will, and you just tuck it in a drawer, and you never even take time to look at it. You would be really dumb. Right? Mainly because you wouldn't be getting in on what is rightfully and legally yours. You wouldn't be benefiting from the fact that you're, you are a child of Warren Buffett. I'm saying all this to try to make an illustration here. When you become a follower of Jesus... You become part of his family. And with that family membership comes some really incredible privileges. There's a spiritual inheritance that you get from God here on earth and in heaven that is, and it's unbelievable. And let me throw this in. God is way richer than even Warren Buffett. So it's something to get a little excited about, really. What if you were to go through your entire life not knowing the power, uh, the opportunities, the blessings, and the benefits that were all available to you just for being a child of God? It'd be like being 
a child of Warren Buffett and never even bothering to read his will. God wants you to grow. God wants to grow your faith, and he wants to give you the inheritance that he has for you. He wants to do that. And the purpose of the Bible is to help us live out the purpose that God has for each of our lives. The fifth way that God's Word changes our life, it illuminates our minds. You say, what are you talking about? God's Word has a very, very distinct way of turning the light on, so to speak. Listen to Psalm 119, 130. Understanding the Word brings light to the minds of ordinary people. Understanding your word, speaking of God. Understanding your word brings light to the... How many of you consider yourself kind of ordinary people? Man, I tell you, I need, I need God's help illuminating his word in my life because I'm just kind of an ordinary guy. God wants to light up our minds with the truth of who he is and what he can do in our life. He wants to illuminate in our mind like what our next step in life ought to be. How many of you find that that comes in really handy at times? He wants to illuminate our mind in knowing how to handle feelings that we experience in this life. How to make, and how to make good choices instead of lousy choices. He does that by kind of turning on this light in our lives. But it doesn't just happen instantaneously usually you've you've probably opened the bible and read something before and and when you got done reading you just thought i don't really know what i just read anybody but me ever done that you just read a whole page you get to the bottom and it's like god i don't know what i read i'm gonna have to, I, i need to reread it i think a lot of it has to do with the instruction that we find in psalm 119 99. Now, maybe you'll notice that a lot of the verses for this entire series come from, the, from Psalm 1 in the Bible. And that's because not only is that the longest chapter in the Bible, it's also a chapter that is speaking about the Bible. So a lot of them you're, you're, you're going to hear. But anyway, it says Psalms 119.99, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Now, please notice what it does not say. It doesn't say, I've got more insight than most everybody I know, because once in a while I'll kind of glance at a few scriptures if I've got the time. It doesn't say that, does it? It's telling us that just glancing at the Word is probably not going to cut it. It's like that quick glance in the mirror. The Bible itself is telling us that for it to really illuminate things in our life, we're going to have to really meditate on it. That means read it, probably read it again, pray about it, then just think about it a little bit and probably read it again. Now, a lot of people think that meditation is just some weird thing that you know only people in Eastern religions and mysticism do. No. Real True meditation has nothing to do with expanding your mind and becoming one with the universe. That's just garbage. Real meditation is all about focusing your mind on the Word of God so that He can turn the light on. That's what meditation is actually about. 
When you soak your mind in God's Word, I'm telling you, lights just start to come on. You start to see things and understand things that you didn't before. And once again, Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let me see your hand if you've heard that piece of scripture before. You know, there's songs about it. It's saying that God's word is this light in our life. Through his word, God turns on the lights that we need to, uh, to see in order to head in the right direction. You know, back in biblical times, people might have read this verse and, and thought about maybe a lantern with a candle in it. Today, we read that verse, we're more apt to envision like, you know, a flashlight walking down a, a path or something. But you've probably noticed that most flashlights you know, don't really light up your path for a very long distance. The only way to keep seeing what's ahead of you is to just keep taking steps. And a lot of times we want God to just light the entire path from here to the end. And we, and we our attitude is like, well, well come on, God, you, you just show me how my life's going to play out here. I want to see the whole thing. But that is rarely how God works in our life. Normally, God, if you, you say something like that to God, here's what he's going to say. He says, no, I'm not going to light up the whole path for you. But here's my promise. I will keep giving you enough light for you to take the next few steps. You take those steps, and I'll give some more light. That's generally how it's going to work. But sometimes we choose. We actually make a choice to get stuck in life. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, we, we get this attitude and we'll, we'll say, maybe not verbally to God, but he can read our mind, right? And our attitude sometimes is, well, you know what, God? I'm not taking another step until I can see a little further down the road. And that's when we get stuck. Because God has a lot more time than we do. Our days are numbered. You're never going to outweigh God. Amen? You just need to take a step and get yourself unstuck. Here's the sixth way that God changes our life. His Word elevates my mood. This is pretty important. Is there anybody here this morning? Well, you could use a little mood elevation. You know, maybe you're kind of down in the dumps. You feel like nobody cares. Maybe you're in the middle of a little pity party and, and you're the only one that has shown up at the party even. And whenever we get discouraged, you know, we don't need a coffee break. We need a, a God's Word break. Because just reading His Word elevates our mood. God gave us the Bible to encourage us. Encouragement. That's a mood elevator, Right? Here's a verse, Romans 15, 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So when we're feeling hopeless, we read the Scriptures because it says that gives us hope. You know, there's four key words in that verse. 
Everything, encouragement, scriptures, and hope. First of all, everything in the scriptures is there to encourage us, right? Even the tough parts that we're not crazy about are there to stretch us and, and, and build us. They're there ultimately to encourage us by keep moving us in the right direction. Most of the time in life when we get really discouraged, it's usually because we've turned a direction we really shouldn't have gone. And it's brought discouragement into our life because I'm telling you, when we get on the path that God will light up for us, it's very encouraging because you were always keenly aware that, man, there's a prize at the end of the path. So we read, read the Word. Think about it. Give God a chance to bring change into your life. Here, this, here's a great verse to substantiate this. Guess what chapter of the Bible it's in? Psalms 119, verse 114. You're my place of quiet retreat. I wait for your word to renew me. The word of God encourages us and it renews us. And finally, here is the seventh way the Bible changes our lives. It releases our potential. This is the one really important uh, one because only God, the one who created you, knows what your full potential is. Your parents don't really know what your full potential is. Your spouse doesn't know your, what your full potential is. And in fact, your friends don't know it. Your boss doesn't know it. And even you, even you don't know what your full potential is. God is the only one who knows it. You don't even know the greatness that is inside of you. God is the only one who knows what you're capable of doing because he created you. The vast majority of people today, they live their lives for the expectations and the approvals of people around them. They live their life based on what others are going to think of them. Or they might be living their life, life based on what others have even told them. Well, you can't do that. You'll never be able to do this. You, you, you should be doing this. Don't you want to be like us? Boy, that's a big one today. Don't you want to be like us? We need to learn to say, no, not really. You're never going to amount to anything. You know, it's not that any of us really need more intelligence. God gives us enough intelligence to get by. We, we just need Him to help us unlock it. I tell you, the potential for intelligence is beyond what we can imagine, but we need God to help us unlock it. Did you know that psychi psychi psych what's the word I'm trying to psychology today tells us that the average person uses about 10% of their total brain capacity. That's if you're really smart. You use about 10%. So most of us have about 90% of our potential just kind of lying around doing nothing. And God is the only one who can unlock all of that unused potential in our life. It's really amazing to think about the power contained in this one book. 
It really is. It will recreate your life. It will erase all of your sins. It'll activate your faith. It'll give you more confidence and courage in life. It'll cause your faith to grow. It'll cause uh, your mind to be illuminated with truth to where you can make good, wise decisions in life. It'll lift you up and, and elevate your mood so you're not always dragging around in the dumps. It'll free up and unlock potential in your life that you didn't even know was there so that you can accomplish everything that God has for you to accomplish. It's, is anybody interested in those things in your life? Man, it's all, it's all right in there. Those are the seven ways the Bible changes us. So then the question becomes, well, how do I, man, how do I gain all of this? How do I gain all these great benefits? We're going we're gonna to talk about that over the next few weeks. Uh, next week is our uh, special service next week, uh, our uh, Parade of Ministries service. And then the following week is a, is a special focus on a children's ministries. So we're going to take a little break, but we're going to get back into this. And we're going to talk about how do we gain all of these uh, great benefits. It's really, uh, it's a, it's a simple three-step process. We learn it, we accept it, and we do it. That's what we're going to talk about. Learning it, accepting it, and you've got to learn it. First thing is you have to learn it, right? You can't do something that you've never really learned before. In the 12th chapter of Mark, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said basically this, you know what your problem is? He said, your problem is you don't know the scriptures. That's paraphrased by me. That's basically what he said. And here is everyone's, you need to hear this, hear this this morning. Here is everyone's biggest problem in life, in case you're not aware of what your biggest problem is. What you think is your problem is not really your problem because your problem is never the problem. Your problem is always how you respond to the problem. Did you catch it? Here's what it means. There, two people could have the exact same problem. And one person overcomes it and succeeds, while the other person succumbs and just fails miserably. They both had the same problem, and yet one succeeded and one failed. So the problem wasn't the problem, right? It was how they responded to the problem. Our biggest problem is almost always how we respond to problems. That's why Jesus said to those guys, here's your problem. Your problem is you don't know the Scriptures. That's why we need to learn the Scriptures. And then after we learn them, we have to be willing to accept them. That means we accept His Word as the ultimate authority in our life, period. There's things in the Bible I don't fully understand, but I accept it. One day, we'll understand every word in there. It'll just become so clear. There are things in God's Word that sometimes I'm not crazy about, but I accept it. How many of you would be willing to admit there's things in here eh, you're not always crazy about? You know, somebody slaps you in the face, you turn the other cheek. 
Well, that certainly comes natural, doesn't it? Someone holds off and belt you in the mouth and says, yeah, it's pretty good. Try it on this side. He says, I bet you can do better. That attitude doesn't come naturally, does it? We accept it. There's things in the Bible that are inconvenient, but we accept it. Because I believe that God knows what I need in my life a lot better than what I do. He knows. And then we have to act on it. In John 13, 17, Jesus said, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed because you know them. Did I say that wrong? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's what he said. A few of you caught it. I'm impressed. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Just knowing it is not enough. We have to do them. Amen? You don't get blessed simply because you know the Bible. Satan knows the Bible. You get blessed by doing what it says. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.